I want to invite you to turn to the book of Titus, if you would. It's near the back of your Bible, if you have it. Or if you have the Bible app, you can use that as well. It might be a little bit easier on that. While you're looking for the book of Titus, a week ago our family traveled north six hours um, to a little town in southwest Michigan called Otsego. And um, we went to Otsego because a um, couple reasons. One is my parents live there in Otsego, Michigan. And um, they had, my dad's a pastor of a church there in Otsego, and the church had invited um, me to come and speak in the morning service and in the evening service, share about what God is doing with Living Church. And so it's always a, a privilege for me to go and speak and share what God's doing among you all. And so it was, it was a blast. And one of the things that I enjoy doing with my dad, I've grown up doing with my dad, is we, at times, when I was a kid, we'd go target shoot. And it was something that I loved doing. And we'd go out to, to the woods or something and set up a target and, and uh, take the twenty two out there, twenty two rifle, and we'd just you know, see who could get the closest and that kind of thing, see who could hit the bullseye or whatever. And so now that my boys are older and one of the things that now we've kind of passed on to them is, um, hey, let's go do that with Pop Pops, whom they lovingly call my dad. And um, so this last time, last weekend, um, the morning before we left, we went outside and uh, Pop Pops set out a target and on cardboard and he had that all up and he had a pellet rifle and... Um, then Grant went out with him first and, and shot a little bit, and then Luke came out, and then I came out. So there's me and my dad and my two boys, and we're out there shooting, and we each had our go at the target and, and that kind of thing. And we were kind of not too much all over the place, but we were close to all over the, all over the place. And um, hit, came close to the bullseye a couple times, that kind of thing. And so my dad let us have a few, few goes on, on the rifle, and then my dad had up to that point had not shot at all, not fired it at all. And so I said, hey, Dad, why don't you have a go? And, uh, and he says, okay. So he begins to, you know, grab the rifle, and he begins to unveil for us the proper technique of, listen, if you're going to hit the bullseye, you've got to know how to fire the gun, right? You don't just walk up there. I mean, there's safety, and he prepped us on all of that beforehand. And so he says, when you hold it, you know, you got to have your feet so far apart. And, and he says, what I do is I kind of lean, put the weight on my, I don't know any of this stuff, okay? I, mean, I, I don't know why he waited until I was 40 to tell me all this stuff. Maybe so he could win and, and always hit the bullseye and me not. I don't know. But he's describing all this for, for us. And we're just like, okay, why didn't you tell us this before we shot three or four times? So anyway, so he's putting all the weight there and he holds it. And he said, there's a proper way to hold it, to look through the sight. And then there's even a proper way to breathe, you know? You know, there's a problem, and do all this stuff. And so he, you know, this is his first shot. Poof, bottom part of the bullseye, first time. And so I come away from that, and then later he goes into the garage, and he has these, these trophies that he's won for target shooting and all this stuff, and kind of tucked away. They're all dusty and all these different things. And he, he's basically reminding us that he, he knows what he's talking about. He knows what he's talking about. Now, my boys and I, we, we knew what to do, right? Hit the bullseye. But my dad knows that if you're going to hit the bullseye, you need to know how to fire the gun. You can know what to do, but until you know how to do it, hitting the bullseye is going to be a difficult task. And it's the same when it comes to being a man of Christ, living in a culture that desperately needs Christ. We can know what to do. We can know what it looks like to be a man of Christ, but until we know how to hit the bullseye, it's going to be a difficult task. 
And two weeks ago, we started just a two-message series specifically directed to men. Men who would say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and I desire to be a man of Christ in this culture that so desperately needs Christ. And so two weeks ago, we came to this, this book of Titus, and, and really it's just a letter that was written in the first century by one of the primary church leaders of that day. His name is the Apostle Paul. And he writes this letter to a young pastor named Titus. And Titus is on the island of Crete, and he's pastoring a group of Christians that are meeting in homes all over the place. And Paul says, listen, you're there. Here's what you need to do, and here's what you t- need to teach them. And Crete was a very difficult place to be a person who follows Christ. Christ, because Paul tells us that they're liars, they're evil beasts, they're lazy, and they're gluttons. It's right there in chapter 1. And so as a person who wants to follow Christ in that kind of culture, it's a very difficult place. And so Paul reveals in chapter 2 of his letter the traits, and that's what we looked at two weeks ago, the traits, what it looks like to be a man of Christ in a culture that's surrounded by the lies of pornography, addiction, drunkenness, uh, immorality, greed. And so Paul reveals to Titus, he says, hey, listen, when you're teaching the men of your church, you need to teach them to be this. You need to teach them this is what it looks like to be a man of Christ when you live in a culture that's surrounded by the lies of greed and pornography and addiction, drunkenness, all those things. This is what it looks like to be a man of Christ in this culture. And he tells us that. He gives us the traits in chapter 2. And if you look there quickly, just review the traits. He says this in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, you must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. He says, you've got to teach the kind of life that matches the gospel. This is what it looks like for a man who says, I'm following Jesus. This is what it looks like. He says, you need to teach. And then verse 2 of chapter 2, teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and endurance. And then in verse 6, he says, teach this to the young men to simply be self-controlled. And so, guys, if these are the traits... All right, this is what it looks like to be a man of Christ in a culture that needs Christ. How do we hit the bullseye? How do, how do we become this? I mean, I look at this list and I stack it up against my life and I go, how do I do this? I want to be this. I want to be a man like this. But how do I fire the gun so I hit the bullseye? Thankfully, Paul not only reveals for us the traits here, but he reveals the truth that produces these traits. He's going to tell us there's a specific truth that when you come to this truth, it will produce in you these traits. It will produce this in you as a man of Christ. And so he's not only telling us the what, he's telling us also the how. So if you're a man of Christ here this morning and you want to say no to the lies of culture and the sense of pornography, addiction, drunkenness, you want to be faithful to your family, faithful to your wife, you, you want to not get sucked in by greed and power and all that. If that's you this morning, then, then this little letter that Paul writes to Titus is for you. It's for me. If you want to be a man of Christ in a culture that needs Christ, this little letter's for us. And in the first message two weeks ago, as I said, we uncovered and looked deeply into these traits that Paul reveals. This morning, we want to discover the truth that produces these traits. How do we become this? So what is this truth that will lead us to become men like this? We'll go to chapter 1, verse 1. Paul gives some opening comments about this truth. Verse 1 of chapter 1, Paul begins the letter by saying, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth 
that what? That's in accordance with godliness, that leads to godliness. So Paul, right out of the gate, is basically telling us that there's a truth that will lead you to these traits. There will be a truth that will lead you into a godly life. It will lead you to produce traits that please Christ. That's what he says. He says, my mission as an apostle, I'm doing this for the faith of God's church, for the faith of God's elect, and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. Now, that word knowledge is an interesting word because it comes from a root word that means to become thoroughly acquainted with. You know it well. In essence, he's saying you need to have a personal, intimate relationship with this truth. He's saying you don't just know it in your head, but you know it personally, relationally. You have experienced this truth, he's saying. And this truth, once you experience this truth and you know this truth and you continue to know this truth and you wrap your heart, your mind, your life around this truth, it will produce godliness. It will produce these traits in you. And he says here the word godliness It says he will lead to godliness, and it's referring to the goal or the purpose of this truth. One of the purposes of this truth is to make you look like Jesus, to encourage you, to help you live Christ, to help you hit the bullseye. So Paul right away reveals that there is a truth that we must know if we're going to produce the traits. If we're going to produce the traits of a man of Christ living in a culture that needs Christ. So what's the truth? What is this truth that we've got to know? It demands we know this. If we're going to live a godly life, a life of a man of Christ in a culture that needs him. What's the truth? We'll go to chapter 2. And Paul reveals, he unveils this truth for us right here in chapter 2, verse 11. Chapter 2, verse 11. Paul reveals this truth that produces the traits. He says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It, verse 12, referring back to the grace of God, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So what's the truth? What's the truth that produces the traits? It's the grace of God. It's God's grace. And it's interesting because if you look at verse 12 here in chapter 2, Paul says this grace is going to teach you to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to say yes to living a self-controlled, upright, and godly life. And the word godly here in verse 12 is the exact same word that Paul uses for godliness in chapter 1, verse 1. So you connect the dots. In verse 1 of chapter 1, he says there's a truth that's going to lead you to godliness. You come to chapter 2, verse 12, he reveals what the truth is. The truth that's going to lead you to godliness is God's grace. It's the grace of God that's going to lead you to the trait. That's the truth. And the word for self-controlled of chapter 2, verse 2, or chapter 2, verse 12, he says it's the same word that he uses in verse 2 and verse 6 of chapter 2. And he says, teach the older men to be self-controlled. In verse 6, he says, teach the younger men to be self-controlled. Well, how do I do that? How do, he says right here, the grace of God will teach you how to be that. So you connect all these dots that Paul's putting together. What's the truth? The truth is this. Listen, it is the truth of God's grace that will produce the traits for becoming Christ's man. Let me say it again. It is the truth of God's grace that will produce the traits for becoming Christ's man. It's the how. It's how we hit the bullseye. So if we want to be men of Christ, specifically addressing the men these last two weeks, if you want to be a man of Christ in this culture that needs Christ, what must you know? 
grace. You must know grace. This is exactly what Paul is talking about. You need to know grace. So what do you need to know about grace? Well, Paul tells us. Verse 12. What do you need to know about this truth, grace? What what do you need to wrap your mind, your heart, your life around? What do you need to experience about this truth, grace? First, he tells us, is it anybody's grace? Whose grace is it? It's God's grace. What do you need to know about this truth, grace? In order to be a man of Christ in a culture that needs him, you need to know that this grace is God's grace. Now, there's a lot of definitions and descriptions to what God's grace is and how you describe it. Unmerited favor, God giving us what we don't deserve, all kinds of different definitions and descriptions, and all those are accurate. But literally, when you look up the word grace from this passage, it means favor or approval or the joy or rejoicing. So if you want to experience God's favor, if you want God to look at you and say, you're mine, I love you, I I, I care so much about you, you want God to look at you and not condemn you, but approve you, and you want God to sing over you, you want God to rejoice over you, that's God's grace. You must know God's grace because that's what his grace is. Is God giving you all of those things when you don't deserve them? God giving you his love, his joy, his favor, his approval, his forgiveness, his presence, his promises, his everything. Of what one commentator said in the definition of grace, he said, grace is God giving us his everything for nothing when we don't deserve anything. What? It's God giving us his everything for nothing when we don't deserve anything. And this is God's grace. And notice it's his grace. It's not my grace. It's not your grace. You cannot produce these traits, guys, on your own, in your own human effort. You can't. You've got to know God's grace. You've got to experience his grace and have a relationship with his grace if you're going to produce these traits of a man of Christ in a culture that needs him. It's experiencing divine grace, supernatural grace. Well, what is it about God's grace? That we must know. He says, for the grace of God that brings salvation. God's grace is a saving grace. You need to know that God's grace is a saving grace. It brings salvation. And the word salvation literally means to deliver. Deliver from enemies. To bring you to safety. And then Paul later, in a couple verses later, gets specific as to this deliverance. If you look at verse 14 of chapter 2, referencing back to the grace of God. We'll pick it up in verse 13. Paul says, while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, Christ who gave himself for us, this is verse 14, Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from what? So God's saving grace redeems us. It delivers us from something. What does God's grace deliver us from? Wickedness, lawlessness, from sin, from God's judgment, from God's wrath. Listen. Apart from God's saving grace, guys, you are a sinner, you are bound for hell, you are on God's judgment door, you're no good, there's nothing you could do in your own effort to make yourself right with God. This is all coming from scripture, Romans 3, you're a sinner, everyone's sinned, I'm not just putting it on you, all the ladies, we're all sinners, or I'm not a lady, but you're all sinners too, or I don't lump myself with the guys. The Bible says we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 that apart from God's saving grace, we are dead in sin. You're dead. There's nothing you can do to make your heart come alive unto the Lord. Absolutely nothing in your own strength and power. And Romans 5 tells us that God's grace, his saving grace, 
frees us from God's judgment for our rebellion against him because of our own sin. That's God's grace, guys. We can't do this on our own. You can't make yourself right with God on your own. You need him to come down to you and to pick you up out of the sin, and then he delivers you from the sin, and he did that because he went to the cross for you, took upon himself your sin, upon himself on that cross. He took your judgment that you deserve, the judgment that I deserve, upon himself. Why did he do that? How do you explain that? Grace. I can't explain it other than it's just grace. And sometimes I, I try to wrap my head, how do I understand this? And I say, I can't. I just receive it. I just receive that God loves me and he's given me this. And I don't understand it, but I do know who I am apart from him. And I know where I'd be apart from God's grace. And Paul tells us in chapter 3 of Titus, he says, listen, at one time before God's saving grace, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. This is who you are apart from God's saving grace. It just is. There's nothing you can do on your own to make yourself right with God. And God's grace is a saving grace. It delivers us from our sin. It sets us free from our sin. But that's just one part of saving grace. Back in chapter 2, verse 14, he says, Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own. So God's saving grace picks us up out of our sin and carries us to the presence of God. So grace has two parts to it. Two sides of the grace coin. The first part, the first side is he delivers us, rescues us from our own sin. We're dead. How do we make our hearts come alive? We can't. So God, through his son, took upon himself our punishment. And when we look to Christ and put our faith and trust in Christ alone, he delivers us from that sin and he takes us into the very presence of God forever. How can you explain that? I can't other than two words, God's grace. That's it. To purify for himself a people. To redeem us, he says in verse 14. Redeem means to pay a ransom, to release us, to liberate us. You cannot appreciate God's grace until you understand your own sin. Do not think so highly of yourself, man. Don't. Stop. Because any good that comes from you is because of God's grace in you. That's it. And for us to fully understand God's grace, we must first understand our sin. And then in verse, chapter, verse 7 of chapter 3, this grace, this saving grace justifies. He says, so that having been justified by his grace. And justified means to declare righteous. You see, on our own, in our own sin, we're unrighteous before God. But God, again, his grace makes us, declares us righteous in the presence of God forever. That's how God sees you. Not because of anything we've done, but because of his grace, his saving grace, to purify for himself a people. You know, I believe there's an incredible scene in the Lord of the Rings trilogy that I believe is a beautiful picture of God's saving grace. And how God's grace, when we have sin and we're wrapped up around it and it's got us wrapped up in itself and we're dead in our sin and we can't go anymore and we don't know how we're going to get there. We, how, who can carry us into the presence of God? Who can set us free? It's God's grace that carries us. I want you to watch this. That's grace. 
And what's amazing is that grace carried it for us. Grace carried it for us. Grace went to the cross for us. And Paul says, listen, if you're going to be a man of Christ that produces these traits, you need to know God's saving grace. You need to have a relationship with God's grace. And so if you're here and you've never received God's grace, you've never turned your heart over to Christ and asking him to forgive you of your sins, to release you from the sin, and to bring you into the presence of God and make you righteous, would you do that right now in this moment in your heart? Call out to Christ and receive God's grace. And if you have received God's grace, guys, rejoice. Celebrate. Rejoice in who you are in Christ because of his saving grace. And when it comes to saying no to the lies of the culture and and sin that confront us, one of the things that I feel like we, we forget to do is we forget to remember God's saving grace and what he's done for us in Christ. And Paul says, if you're going to become a man of Christ and produce the traits, you must know God's saving grace. You need to receive it, and you need to rejoice in it. And second, he says, God's grace is not only a saving grace, but he says it's a visible grace. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. God's grace is a visible grace. It's appeared. Well, when did it appear? When did we see God's grace? When did it appear to all men? John chapter 1, verse 14 says, And when the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, referring to Jesus, full of grace and truth. And in verse 17, John chapter 1, it says, Through the law came, or through Moses came the law, and through Christ came grace and truth. You want to know when grace became visible? When Christ was on this earth. You want to see grace? You see Jesus. You see Jesus because Christ is grace become visible. Jesus is God's grace wrapped in skin. Knowing grace. How do I know this grace? Then you know grace through knowing Christ. You you know God's grace is visible grace by knowing Christ. Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 12, throw off the sin that so easily tangles. What's the next phrase? Let us fix our eyes on Jesus who endured the cross so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. 2 Peter chapter 3.18, Peter's talking to the church and he says, but grow, see see the relationship here between grace and Christ. And he says, but grow in the grace and what? And knowledge of Jesus Christ our Savior. You Do you want to know? Do you want to have an experience of God's grace? Do you want to know God's grace intimately and personally? Then know Christ. Know Christ. You need to be looking at Jesus, guys. And so often when it comes to the sins that surround us and the sins we give in, we're looking at our sin. Or we're looking at the traits instead of looking at Christ. This this is what we tend to do. We kind of have a target here. If this is the target, what do we tend to do? We put the target here, and our focus is all on the target. This is what I need to be. And so we do it in our own strength. And then we realize, I can't do it in my own strength, and I'm a failure. And then, oh, I feel guilty. Thankfully, God's grace continues to forgive me. So what do we need to do? What you need to do is this. You need to put it behind the cross. Because God's grace is visible. 
And you need to look to Christ. And so when you look at the traits and you say, how do I become a man of Christ in a culture that needs Christ? What do you look at first? You look at Jesus first. You look at what Jesus has done for you. You look at his saving grace. And through Christ, then through his grace, he puts those traits in you. Because God's grace is visible. And Paul's saying, Titus, teach the men of your church this. Teach them to see visible grace, to look to Jesus, to look to Christ. And so, guys, how you doing looking at Jesus? How you doing? Are you spending time with him in his word? Are you listening to what Jesus is doing in other men's lives and how he's transforming their hearts? We need to stop looking at the lies. And we need to start looking at Christ. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, he said, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. What's his point? You're a slave one way or the other in the sense of, he says, take your thoughts captive. You're either a captive of your thoughts or your thoughts are a captive of you. Meaning that when those lustful thoughts come in your minds and those selfish thoughts come into mind, you, when those come, what do you do with that? Do you look at Christ? Do you take that thought captive and make it obedient to Christ and say, that's not who I am. Christ, did, Christ saved me from that. He rescued me. He went to the cross for that. that. That's not truth. Or do you just kind of let it wander and let it take you captive? And Paul says, listen, God's grace, you need to know that it's saving grace. You need to know that it's visible grace. Guys, we've got to get back to knowing Jesus. And then he goes on, he says, not only is it saving grace and visible grace, he says it's a training grace. He says it teaches us to say no to ungodliness. Chapter 2, verse 12. God's grace is a training grace. The word teaches means to train, to instruct, to correct, to cause us to learn. And the word know there means to deny, to refuse, to renounce, to reject the offer. So when the lies of the enemy come and the lies of culture come and it's dangling right in front of you and you're so tempted and you want to take it and you want to fall in and you want to go, yes, I want it, I want it, I want it. What is it that's going to encourage you to refuse it and to walk away from it? It's God's grace. It's knowing Christ. It's knowing what Christ has done for you. It's remembering who you are in Christ, that that's not who you are anymore. You can say no. It is possible to reject sin. It is because not of anything of you, but because of God's grace in you and what he's done through you. God's grace is a training grace, but not only does it teach us to say no to the dangling lies that are in front of us, but he says it teaches us to say yes to self-control, to upright and godly lives. Listen, grace not only saves you, going to go theological word on you, grace not only saves you, it also sanctifies you. Okay, God's grace not only saves you, it's also what sanctifies you, it's what makes you live a life that pleases Jesus. So we've got to know this grace. We need to study it. I remember when I was in junior high, I was a pretty small guy. And one of the things I'd ask my parents was for a weight set. Because I wanted to become beefy. At least bigger than what I was at that, at that time. And I, so my parents, I don't know, for my birthday or for Christmas or something, bought me this free weight set. And I put it down in my basement. And, you know, and I'm like, yeah, this is awesome. I'm going to be huge. And not knowing that it usually takes a very long time to see any any results. So I probably gave it up like after a couple months, not even that probably. But with the weight set, it had this poster, right? And it had all these different exercises that you could do with the weight set, like military press, bench press, all the different dumbbells and everything. And I remember looking at that poster. I put it on the basement wall. You know, I'd go and get my 
muscle shirt on and my shorts and, you know, all on my own. And now I'm revealing it to you and no one else knew that. But so anyway, that's what I did. And so I would go downstairs and I'd get all hyped up, have the music going and all this stuff. And I would study that chart. I would look at it and I would say, okay, I want to do this. And I'd have a training program out and all this stuff. And, I, and so I would look at that chart and I'd look, okay, that's how you do the military press, bench press, how many pounds. And so, you know, I just start with the bar. You know, and then after some time, put some more weight on it, that kind of thing. But I would really study that chart because I'd never done this before. I'd never had a weight set. I didn't know there were all these different kinds of exercises you could do. So I would study and learn it. I'd, I'd maybe do one, then I'd go back and I'd look at the chart. And guys, listen, God's grace is a training grace. And in, over, for, in order for God's grace to train us, we need to keep looking at it. We need to keep studying God's grace. You need to know passages like Colossians 1, Colossians 2, Ephesians 1, Ephesians 2, Romans the whole scriptures. I mean, good night. Put yourself in there and study it and look for Christ and look at all the grace that he's given us. And we got to instruct ourselves because we got to look at God's chart of grace and all that he's done. Because when we're looking at God's grace through Christ, he gives us the strength to say no. Because he says this, what my grace is sufficient for you. God's grace is enough. It enables us to say no to sin and yes to Christ. Keep going. Chapter 2, verse 12, he says, God's grace is a saving grace. It's a visible grace. It's a training grace. And it's a now grace. It says it teaches us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. It's present tense, meaning it's available for us now. You don't have to wait for God's grace. If you're a man of Christ, you possess God's grace. You have it right now. And it's a grace that produces the traits while we wait for Christ's second return. It's through God's grace that we're able to please Christ. Guys, we've got to know this grace and we've got to use this now grace. And, and a great way to illustrate it for me is I'm, I'm an asthma individual. And I always carry with me this little red guy, this little inhaler. Try to remember to take it with me everywhere I go. Because there are times in my life when I, if I don't have it, it becomes very difficult for me to breathe. And there have been times when, honestly, I thought, whoa, this is not a good situation and I don't have my inhaler. And again, God's grace has, has spared me a couple times. But I always carry it with me. I'll either have it in my pocket or to put it in my backpack, that kind of thing. Because when it gets tight, when breathing gets tight for me, I can take a puff of this inhaler, if you will. I can inhale what's inside this, and it opens up the passageways, and it allows me to breathe more freely. And I always carry this with me. I always, and sometimes before I go out on a run or do exercise, I'll take it beforehand because I know it will help me in the process of breathing. And I always have it with me. Listen, if you're here and you're a man of Christ, Christ's spirit at that moment of salvation comes inside you. And the writer to Hebrews chapter 10 says that, says that that spirit is a spirit of grace that goes with you through life. Guys, if you're here near a man of Christ, you have the spirit of grace with you at all times, which means you have available when those lies of culture come, when you're at the computer screen and the temptation's there, or you're thinking, no, no one will know if I take this from the office or whatever, everybody else does it. When you're asking those kinds of questions, know that the spirit of grace is inside you. And because he's inside you, that grace is available for you in that moment to say no to sin and yes to pleasing Christ. It's a now grace. It's a now grace. Listen, it's the truth of God's grace that will produce the traits 
for becoming Christ's man. We must know this grace. We got to know it. You got to spend time in it, guys. We have to. And I'm speaking directly to the ladies, but ladies, if you want to go back in chapter 2, read verses 3 and 5, 4, 5, and 6, and it'll tell you your story. What it looks like to be a woman of Christ in a culture that needs Christ. And so how do you become a woman of Christ in a culture that needs Christ? Same thing. No grace. You need to know grace. You need to know Christ. Because knowing Christ is knowing this grace. And guys, as a reminder for us, I put together a little piece of paper. And I have it up here. It's got a little target on it. All right? I need reminders. I need reminders in my home. I need them all over the place to remind me of who I need to be in Christ, who I desire to be in Christ, and how I become that. So it's a little target. It says how to be Christ's man living in a culture, needing Christ. Simply a little target. It's got the traits inside there with a cross, and it simply says no grace. And so as you leave, at some point today, if you want to take one of those home as a reminder to be a man of Christ in a culture that needs Christ, I want to encourage you to take that home with you. You say, okay, Mark, here's the traits. The traits are this, temperate, or temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in faith, sound in love, sound in endurance. And you're telling me it's simply I got to know grace? Yep. That's what Titus says. That's what Paul tells Titus. You need to know Christ, and you need to stop looking at the lies, and you need to start looking at Jesus, because Jesus is grace. Jesus is grace. It is tough being a man of Christ in a culture that needs Christ. Listen to me. But just because it's tough does not mean it's impossible or give you an excuse to splash around in secret sin. doesn't. Because Paul says it is possible to live a life as a man of Christ that pleases Christ in a culture that needs Christ. And how do you do it? You do it by knowing grace. By receiving grace. By rejoicing in grace. By looking at grace. By studying grace. By using grace in the moment. And so guys, I want to encourage you as you become a man of Christ in a culture that needs Christ to know this grace. It's this truth that drives us, that carries us to becoming men of Christ. I want all the guys to stand, if, you, if they would. All the men to stand this morning. I'm going to ask the band to go ahead and come forward, if they would. And as they're preparing, guys, I want you to think about what's, what's the next move for you when it comes to being a man of Christ in this world, in this culture. What is it for you? What's it look like for you? Maybe you're here and you're going, you know what? I've never received this grace that God has given me. And my first move is simply to receive this morning. I am receiving God's grace, his forgiveness for my sins. And now I'm going to have a personal relationship with this God who's going to make me righteous all through Christ. Maybe your first move this morning is simply to say, God, I receive your grace this morning. I receive your forgiveness. I become yours. Thank you for making that happen through your son. Maybe that's your takeaway this morning, your move. Maybe for you, guy, maybe for another man that's here this morning, you just need to confess your sins before the Lord and maybe to your family. Maybe you need to go to them and say, you know what, I'm sorry, please forgive me. I have not been a man of Christ in our home or in our relationship or in our friendships. I haven't. Forgive me. Pray with me. Pray for me to be a man of Christ that follows Christ in a culture that needs him. Maybe you need to confess. Maybe you just say, I need to be more thankful for this grace that he's given me. I need to get back to looking at Christ. I've been looking at the lies, and I need to get back in his word. And, and maybe so for you this morning, your takeaway is, I'm just going to get back in the word of God. I'm going to get some guys together. We're going to study the word together. We're going to get to know this Jesus so we can know this grace, so we can become men of Christ. 
What's your takeaway this morning, guys? It's your move. Ladies, I want you to join them. Join the guys standing. We don't typically do this at a gathering, but we're going to sing a song, and we kind of have this first couple rows open, and I just want to leave it open for any guy that wants to come forward and just say, you know what, I just am going to come forward publicly and say, I need you guys as a church to pray for me because I want to be a man of Christ. And I want to encourage guys, if you see a guy come forward, you come alongside him and wrap your arm around him and say, you don't need to say anything, but just help him to know you're there and that you support him. Or maybe you want to come forward and you just want to say, you know what, I'm coming forward to let everybody know in this moment today I've received God's grace, his saving grace. Coming forward isn't some miraculous thing or supernatural thing. It's just simply a statement saying, you know what, I just need some kind of physical move that represents the move I'm going to make in my life. And so as we sing this song, I want to encourage the guys, if you want, to come forward and just have a seat if you want. Maybe you want to kneel to the cross, I don't know, and just spend some time in prayer on your own, committing to be a man of Christ who knows grace. Because it's through God's saving grace, his visible grace, his training grace, his now grace, it's knowing that truth that produces the traits in us to be men of Christ and a culture that needs Christ. Lord Jesus, I pray now through your spirit that you would move in every person, man and woman, boy and girl, standing here this morning. Would you move in us? If there are women here this morning, Lord Jesus, that they need to come, they need to confess their sins to you because they've been praying for the men in their lives. Maybe that's, that's a response. But right now, Father, I ask, would you move through your spirit? And would you take us, the truth of your grace, we thank you for it, and make us your people, people who follow you, and a culture that so desperately needs you. Amen. Let's sing together.